Welcome to Automation Chat. I'm your host, Teresa Hauk, Executive Editor of the Journal from Rockwell Automation and our Partner Network magazine. I have another great episode this week because I had an interesting conversation with two highly sought-after experts who shared what they see as effective strategies that manufacturers can use and are using to improve productivity in light of the massive skilled worker shortage. I chat with Dave Vasco, Senior Director of Advanced Technology at Rockwell Automation, and Jerry Foster, General Vice President of Research and Chief Technology Officer for Plex, a Rockwell Automation company. Now, we all know the current skilled worker shortage is already scary, but wait until you hear the numbers of the shortage projected for just seven years from now. You'll find out how various technologies, as well as upskilling and reskilling, including employee soft skills, are the keys to dealing with this awful dilemma. But before we dive into the conversation, it's time for our family-friendly, silly joke of the day. Which Star Trek captain was a stage magician? Captain Picard Any Card. All right, here's my chat with Dave and Jerry. Hi, Dave and Jerry. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thanks so much, Teresa. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. Well, we had um, I had the privilege of listening to you uh, speak at Automation Fair, and I know you both are well-known in the industry, so I know you're often asked about industry trends and to predict the impact of technology and how it's going to affect uh, how manufacturers work. So today I'm interested in your insights about how technology is affecting productivity in this post-COVID world and helping manufacturers with the skilled workforce shortage. I can almost say workforce. So let's start by talking about one of the biggest ongoing challenges manufacturers face. How would you describe the growing, constantly growing skilled workforce gap and how it's affecting companies? Yeah, Teresa, I, I could I could talk to that. So we've been seeing over the past few years that we're we're shy about eight hundred thousand skilled workers in manufacturing. And the problem is it's getting worse. We're, the projection from the National Association of Manufacturers is we'll be shy about 2.1 million by 2030. And I think it, it hit home for me. And if I look at a manufacturing plan, I go by, I see a help wanted sign. I've noticed I don't see any cardboard signs. These are metal signs. These are manufacturers that need skilled workers. And trends like the, the reshoring, the localization, the resiliency in the supply chain, those are all going to drive up the demand for workers, and we need to address that, or, or we're not going to be competitive. And that's that's the challenge we're facing right now. Hey, you know, I just add to that, Dave. It's, it's amazing those numbers. I just read some statistics recently that kind of crystallized it for me. Um, even though obviously I'm very aware of the problem as well, but I read that if every unemployed person with experience in durable goods manufacturing were employed the industry would only fill 65% of the available jobs. So even if everyone that we had could work, did work, it would still be a huge problem, which is a huge problem. It's just amazing. Yeah, that really gives a perspective in, in what, what the challenges we're facing. Those are stunning numbers, frightening, really. Yeah. So what are the best ways manufacturers can deal with these? What are some of the strategies you're seeing? So I think there's three areas people have been working on. We're trying to bring more people in to manufacturing. And there's some incredible jobs there. There's some exciting jobs. And I think people are entering the market, but unfortunately, probably about the same speed as people are leaving and retiring with uh, retirements as the, the big boomers age out of the market. We can make our workers more productive through training them and upskilling them. And that, that helps. 
or we could add technology and actually have them become more productive by the application of technology. The truth is, to meet the gap that's ahead, we're going to have to do all three. And that's going to be what's ahead. And I think there's a lot of technologies that can help. And if we can train the workers to use them, that's going to really build us up. But we have to address every one of those. Yeah, that, that's a great point, David. I would add to that. Sometimes when we think of um, like uh, being more productive, it's doing more, which it is. We need to do more with less. I just would also add a little nuance there. You know, both Dave and I have been in manufacturing forever, probably more than we want to admit. Um, but I remember, you know, working in a forging factory, the contracts would come in and they say, we'll give you five cents per part for the first two years, four cents for the following year, and then three percent or three cents per part thereafter. So manufacturers were forced to not just become more productive, but more efficient, which is kind of a backdoor way to becoming more productive. And a lot of the tools that you know Dave mentioned and that we'll be talking about actually help you be more efficient as well. Automation, cloud, smart manufacturing, and some of those things. And uh, it's kind of a um, kind of a little nuance there to help the uh, help that productivity. It's just becoming more efficient and doing what you do better in addition to doing more of it. Which is always a goal anyway, but now it's more important than ever. So Dave, you talked about technology and then the upskilling and reskilling. Let's look at the technology. What kind of technologies are manufacturers looking at? And is it different for the small and medium-sized companies as opposed to large uh, technologies, technologies like AI or robotics, digital twins, that kind of thing? Can you address the technologies? We're seeing technologies really go across all manufacturers. I think larger companies have easier time adopting it. For small and medium, they just don't have the the R&D groups, the advanced groups that can really sort through a lot of that. So they need help to actually to adopt those. But you're seeing technologies like robotics, like cobots, which can be actually applied and actually programmed by uh, um, somebody that maybe was working on a factory line. And they can actually program that self, their self. We're using technologies like uh, artificial intelligence, that machine learning to take the lessons that our best workers learn through the years and provide that information to really give our, our newest workers um, and our workers in the workforce superpowers and being able to, uh, to help with these problems. We're seeing a lot of cloud applications, and I, I know Jerry's had a lot of experience with cloud and remote work, and maybe he could talk to that um, and how, the, how they've addressed those things. Yeah, so, and I would also say, just the, the first part there, um, I do think you're right, Dave, that more larger firms and companies have an advantage here, but I have seen medium-sized companies really be able to push forward because they have less bureaucracy, but they still have some of the resources that the smaller companies don't, and so it's been an interesting uh, dynamic watching that that play out across the, the spectrum there. But yeah, I think cloud is one of the, the major technologies that really affect uh, how we work. Uh, I was really starkly reminded of this. And of course, uh, our product was was built on the cloud from the ground up. So we've been very familiar with this for the last 25 years or so. But uh, during the, the midst of COVID, uh, when everyone had to shut down, one of our bigger customers, an uh, international customer, um, had half of their plants were using cloud-based products and half were not. And when they had to send everyone home during that, during that, uh, the, the biggest part of the, the disruption there, we were talking to their executives and this was, they said it was night and day, the difference between the plants that use cloud and the plants that didn't. The plants that were cloud, used cloud-based software, they continued almost as if nothing happened because everyone went, everyone went home and continued to work. They could see what was going on. They had insight into every single one of their facilities and plants. Uh, they had full visibility on production and scrap and, and all of the things that were going on. 
but the companies that uh, didn't use cloud, it was like a black box. They, they actually had to like call, you know, phone call and call back or send an email or, or drive over and talk to someone if they were even allowed to do that. So it was a real difficult experience managing those plants that were not using cloud-based software. Do you find that companies that don't use the cloud are hesitant because of security concerns? I think so, yes, for sure. I think that's definitely diminished over over time. I think it's becoming less and less of an issue. One of the things that we tell people is there's a there's a myth there that just because you're not in the cloud means you're safe. And I'm like, do you have a front door? Do you have USB drives? Do you have an internet connection? Do you have employees that use TikTok on your on your uh, you know laptop? All those things are significant security risks. And for us, we know this is such a critical part of our customers feeling of safety, we actually employ a chief security officer who, and all she does is make sure we are the most secure platform that, that we can be. And I'm like, you know, do you have a chief security officer? Well, probably not. So I, I would say in many ways that cloud is actually more secure because of the effort and the, the, uh, the work that we put into that. And then also besides the technology, then this also helps for upskilling and reskilling helps deal with the productivity. Can you uh, talk about what those are in case someone doesn't know and how those are helping with productivity as well? Yeah, we, we've seen there's a lot of efforts on reskilling. There's a lot of really great programs. We participate in a lot of those uh, with universities, with trade schools, with the, the actual companies themselves. But we're trying to, I think the best practice is really think about leveling up your employees. If you have an operator, what would it take to take that operator and bring them up to a technician level so they could help or help them learn how to program a cobot or be able to apply technology, help apply technology in the plant? If you have a technician, how could they help with machine learning, analytics, and analysis? Or how, how can they help re-engineer some of the systems? The more information you provide people on the plan floor and you teach them the upskilling, the more powerful they are. And that that's really what we need. We need each one of those employees to really be punching above their weight to actually be making greater impact in the factory. And investing in the upskilling of those people is the best way to get there. Yeah, and I would add to that that it's it's there. You know, there's the the digital training and the technical training involved. And I think there's also a, an aspect of that that uh, is par really part and parcel of smart manufacturing, and that's the ability to handle the data. So training uh, training around the skills of how to to manage and report and interpret data. And then even in addition to that, something we don't think about, I think, is the, the need for soft skills becoming much more prevalent, problem solving, critical thinking, collaboration and communication. And I've seen and read about now schools, um, even in, in high school and primary school, actually having classes on critical thinking and communication. Because if you think about it, you know, tech, if I learn, okay, I knew this technology and now it's no longer relevant. So now I learn this technology, what's going to happen in five years? It's no longer relevant anymore, right? So, and then I keep having to upskill. However, if I can learn some of these soft skills around being able to adapt um, critical thinking and problem solving, I have a much better chance of transitioning to a new technology um, just because of, of, of the things that I've learned in, in these soft skill sets that are, that are part, of my, uh, part of my repertoire now that I can apply uh, as we go forward. So, yeah. I'm sorry, Teresa. Jerry, I think it's a really good point. I, and so I, I manage a R&D group at, at Rockwell, and I'm looking to hire people that can communicate well to a variety of audiences. I'm looking for people that can collaborate. I'm looking for people that have great foundational skills, but are willing to pivot to the next new thing that we need to be working on, realizing, I don't know what's going to be out there two, three, four years ahead, and they need to be able to transition that, get up to speed quickly, be productive, and deliver results. 
Yeah. And, and this, I'm sorry, we just keep, we keep jumping on each other because I just realized or thought of something as well. That there's an interesting side effect to all this as manufacturing becomes more smart and we upskill and train our workers. One of the, the interesting side effects is that manufacturers are no longer in competition just with other manufacturers, but also with high tech, right? If you have someone who knows AI, well, they can go anywhere. So manufacturers start to, to have this need to attract technical workers. And, and, and then when they train their workers to become more technical, they become um, uh, available for other, for other technical workplaces, right? So uh, it's an interesting dilemma that manufacturers are going to have to continue to work at. And I think what Dave spoke to earlier about making manufacturing really a desirable place to work and making it a place that kids are excited to be in is something that we need to do. And for me personally, I think and this is just me personally speaking, uh, before I got into manufacturing, there was a couple of years there where I was just a programmer. And when I would program, then the, the code I programmed would go off and I really was disconnected from where it ended up, right? But then when I got into a plant and I got to hear a plex, I would write the code and, and I'd go out and see it in action on the plant floor. And that was like, oh, that is so stinking cool. I love it. I, <laughs> there was a tangible feedback loop there and I could run back and like, oh, I can't believe they used it like that. I had no idea they were doing it. And then come back and change it. And there was the ability to do that in the manufacturing environment was just really cool. And I, I think that's something we really need to emphasize to, to our kids and to those who are looking for uh, a new challenge in, in their career. Absolutely, Jerry. I, I think the manufacturing is really so exciting these days. And, and I get a chance in my job to go out and uh, visit manufacturers' lines and see the things they're doing. And I am so jealous to see <laughs> the work they're doing. And yep. really the inspiration that's out there. And I think it's such a great field for people to enter. So I think it's an opportunity for us to pull people from some of those, the IT and the, yep. the software companies as well and actually have them uh, make some real change, see some real things, not just changing lines of code, but see real results in the factory. Definitely. That's a good point. Because like you said, once you have a skill that you can take anywhere, you will if you're not happy and right. in, in a snap. And I've even seen a trend now, anger quitting. Have you guys heard of that? I, there's so many terms now, I think track of which ones are which, but I've heard so of them. So you have a really bad day and boom, you're sending out resumes and you're gone within a few days. So you just never know. And so that's why, you know, having a work environment, like you said, Jerry, knowing how you're, you fit in and being interested and engaged is so important. Have you guys, what do you think about the STEM programs? Do you feel like they're helping students understand how they will be contributing Go ahead, Dave, you can start. Sure. So, yeah, I think they are. And I think the key is to really get the hands-on training. Yes. To actually be able to try stuff. And um, they're, they're, we've been able to do that by actually putting systems in into universities, trade schools, high schools, and actually have them use things. And I think that's really helpful. The other thing we're seeing is that a lot of the VR and AR tools can provide these really immersive environments. And those really help. And I think, I think those are big game changers. I love programs like uh, like First and First Robotics. I, I love every element of that, the collaboration, the teamwork, the, the management of the different tasks, the urgency that needs to occur to actually be able to solve these problems. And then when they uh, actually compete, they actually compete in a collaborative environment, which is, you know, what we, we deal with every day. So I love a lot of the work that's going on. We have to keep on doing it. And luckily, a lot of our people in the automation field volunteer in a lot of those areas. And that makes such a big difference. Yeah. And I love even speaking to the point we made a second ago about touch points inside manufacturing related to this, uh, this topic about STEM. I've seen customers take this to another level. For instance, it's not uncommon for manufacturers to sponsor first robotics teams. 
But now I've seen like one of our customers, they actually built out a corner of their factory where they actually bring their first robotics team to the factory to build their robots. So if they need a tool, they send them to the tool crib, you know, and they walk by the machines and all the cool stuff. And you're kind of ingrained into the environment as you're building robotics. So it starts to become all come together for, for these kids. And I also have seen something last year or two that I've never seen before. Um, you know, Dave and I both go to a lot of uh, manufacturing shows and trade shows. And a big one in Chicago last year, um, I saw teachers bringing through whole classrooms of 30 or 40 kids into the, the, the trade show and going through the exhibits and seeing just the incredible things that I was in awe at that they got to experience the same thing. So I'm seeing this, this move from just sponsoring and kind of an external touch point to actually bringing the kids into those environments to experience that firsthand. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. So what are some key takeaways you guys would have for manufacturers who need some help here in this time that's so hard to find skilled help? I think you need to make, you need to make investments in technology and automation and productivity uh, within your uh, environment, be it a small, medium, or large manufacturer. You really you have to do that. And then you have to invest in your people. And uh, investing in your people really encourages them to stay with you because you're, you're helping them along. It makes them more productive. There's financial gains as people are, are more productive. Their salary is going to reflect that as well. So those are all good things. But we all need to work together on this, all the manufacturers, and uh, to really make this happen. That's going to be critical going forward. And I would just concur with what, what they've said, um, you know, leveraging the tools that we have being strategic and intentional about the, the implementing of the smart manufacturing tools at the same time being intentional about the change management required when doing that. We, we talk so much about um, all of these cool tools and the cloud and, and all this stuff. And sometimes we just assume because we're technologists, right? So we're ingrained in this. Well, of course you want cloud. Of course you want to change this, right? And then we're like, and the guy and the gal on the shop floor is like, of course, why? I'm, I'm not, you know, convince me. I, just because you said it doesn't mean it's true. So I've seen the companies that are the most effective at what they're doing with smart manufacturing are also the most effective at change management. It's one of those skills that's been around for a long time that is, that is actually uh, the need for it is exacerbated in this environment, bringing your employees along and showing the benefits to them and just empathizing with where they're at and helping them along the way is absolutely critical to, uh, to having success. Do you ever run into someone who says, I'm too busy doing my work to do that kind of mentorship? Yeah, all, all the time, right? <laughs> um, and so I, I think it's, and I have to have that, we have to have the conversation. I, I, do you want, and this is common to manufacturers, right? They're so busy. They have so much going on. And so, but it's, it's, it's short-sighted thinking versus long-term thinking. Do you want to be here in five, five or 10 years? Quick example, if, if we have time, uh, one of our customers was putting in place uh, a new lean manufacturing automation process, and they had been working on it for months, and they, they thought uh, this was going to be really cool. And they went out to the employees and said, this is what we're going to do. And the employees said, okay, what are, the, what are you expecting from this? And they said, we're going to make this much more product with this new procedure. And they said, well, are you going to hire anyone else? And they said, no, we're not going to hire anyone. And the employees were like, you want us to do 20% more of whatever production, and you're not going to hire anyone? And so what the management team did is they went back to the drawing board and they they went, they built out um, uh, out of uh, these things called stickle bricks. Hey, look them up. It's the little, they're like <laughs> building blocks with the little, uh, little uh, poles in them, almost like Legos. And they built a example um, part out of stickle bricks with a bill of materials and a whole process. And they set up a little assembly line in the training room. And then they had the employees come in and actually build this product with the, with the stickle bricks, with their bill of materials in their process. And they built it out the old way. 
and then they built it out the new way and they let them do it. And they, at the end of it, they were like, oh my gosh, we can do this. And they came out of that with the employees. They're like, woohoo, let's change. You know, you're <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So it's just amazing. This, this kind of this thinking. And that's an example that I use often when people say I'm too busy to train. I'm like, you're too, you're too busy not to train. I, you, you've got to do this. And it, the long run will be extremely beneficial for you. Terry, that's a really important point. We focus so much on the technology, but really this is a, it's a cultural change yeah. and you need to bring the people in. We uh, did a transformation within our, our transfer facility and uh, we made sure that the, there was monitors all across the floor and they were simple enough that everybody understood them. We explained what we were doing with them, how they actually reflected the state of the line. And we have people on the line, operators, suggest changes mm. that would have been probably your control engineers should have been doing. But they actually saw changes that did take place. They suggested that we implemented them, and they got recognition for that. That was all the difference in the world. And you need yeah. to work on that cultural aspect as you roll these technologies in. Awesome. I appreciate you both having this conversation with me. It was really useful, and I enjoyed talking with you both. Thank you for your time, and thanks for being here. Oh, great. Thanks, Teresa. It was exciting for us as well. Yeah, and Teresa, thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure. I hope we get to do this again sometime. Great. Thank you to our listeners for listening. I'm Teresa Hauck with The Journal Magazine, and we'll chat again soon. If you enjoy Automation Chat, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you so much for listening.